All right, good morning, church. That's a fast one. How you guys doing? Doing well this morning? If I have another chance to meet you, my name is Zach, and I have the joy of being campus pastor at this church. And honestly, um, if you're new here or if you're just visiting, I just pray that you feel seen and loved and known, not only by us in our own community, but more importantly by God. And so we're so glad you're with us. Today is going to be awesome. Today is a standalone message. We just finished a, a, a message on awakening to worship and kind of uh, almost like retraining our eyes to see the wonder of God. And we're going to start a, a whole new series next week, but today's a standalone message. And we're going to talk about this idea of fasting and this 40-day le- lead up to Easter and this motif that we find throughout the scripture of fasting for 40 days. Um, and tr- I promise you, it's actually going to be pretty, pretty awesome. Maybe, I don't know your relationship with fasting, but it's going to be awesome. So today, I want to talk about <clears throat> this idea of power. Everyone say power. power. And I also want to talk about holding this reality of power in tension with practices. Everyone say practices. practices. So we're talking about the outpouring of God's spirit and his presence, and we're talking about practices, and today, particularly, we're going to be talking about fasting, and spoiler alert, fasting becomes the scaffolding, it becomes the the framework to hold the fire of God in many ways, along with other spiritual disciplines, and I want to talk about that today. So, let's begin with some scripture. Would you rise with me for the reading of God's word? This opening passage is found in Jeremiah 6.16, and I've been chewing on this and carrying it in my heart all week. As a staff team, we got to explore this together, Um, and I feel like God is highlighting this passage, so let's read this. I'll read this here. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we do stand as the body of Christ, as those who are longing to know more about you and to be closer with you and to be empowered by you, to be taught by you, God. And so we just ask for you to lead this place. I've studied the scripture and I've written some notes, but Lord, I just, I just yield to you, God. Whatever you want to do, feel free to interrupt. Um, thank you that you have been a part of the process of writing this too, but have your way. Be king in this place. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts are tender. Would you break the, the hard, hallowed ground and allow um, the seeds of life to be planted so that we can step into flourishing in this cultural hour. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. So, um, as many of you guys know, I have this this secret obsession, and uh, it's I kind of moonlight as a wannabe chess player. (laughs) And it is like how I go to sleep at night. I like literally will get the chess app app out, and I'm just playing. And I love the way that it kind of puts my mind in a different place. Um, but one of the things about chess, if you actually want to be really good at it, is you have to learn all of the openings. Has everyone, everyone ever heard of that? The openings in chess. And so it's these openings. You start in a certain way, and it's almost like these paths. 
okay? So it's like, I'm gonna start this path towards the king so I can get their king. And it's in, in, chess, in the chess world, it's called lines. It's these lines of chess. And so if you don't know these ancient openings, you won't, you won't be able to contend against somebody who knows those things. And so to be good at chess, you have to go back and study it and figure it out. You guys seeing what I'm, what I'm throwing down? Figuring out what I'm throwing down? So anyway, by the way, I'm playing a chess match. It's epic against my dad. And we play on the chess app, and it's online. And we played a little bit this morning. But I, we started the game two days ago. And I'm talking about chess way too much. But uh, he, he had this crazy opening. And he sacrificed his bishop to get my king out. And I was like, what are you doing? I haven't seen this opening. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen this. I mean, you're sac- like, I'm winning now, but my king is dislodged. What do I do with this? And so it's good to lear- look back at the ancient paths and figure out what is, what is God asking us to do as we play this game of chess? And it's not a game. It's actually our life. And he has these, these keys for us. He has these paths. He has these ways for us. And so I think that it's important for us to, especially in this crazy, tumultuous time, to reclaim uh, the map that God has set forth in the scripture. And so in this passage that we just read in Jeremiah, this, this is written by Jeremiah, the namesake, of course, the prophet, also known as the weeping prophet, right? And so he's writing into a very, <clears throat> really terrible context uh, As many of you guys know, the story of Israel, it schisms, it splits off, and we have the northern kingdom of Israel, and then we have the more faithful kingdom of Judah. And so he is prophesying and trying to shepherd and bring Judah from its wayward ways to prevent them from being exiled to Babylon, and he's pleading, and he's weeping, and he's crying out. And so we have this idea of of the people of Israel sort of like, wandering and wayward in their devotion to Yahweh. And so Jeremiah is calling them back. Would you come back? Would you repent? Would you take part in this wholehearted devotion? Would you stand at the crossroads? You're at a crossroads, friends. Would you ask for the ancient paths? So let's talk about this a little bit. And so the people of God are at this crossroads. They're asked to repent, really, back into wholehearted followership to God and to stop mixing the covenant that God has set forth and mutating the covenant that God has set forth with idols and these substitutes and these add-ons to what God has set forth. And so he says, come and stand. And we were kind of talking about this as a staff team. And one of our staff members, it was actually Beth, who was like, yeah, stand. That's like kind of like, kind of, jumping out at me because I often want, I see crossroads, I gotta go. We gotta figure this out. We gotta conquer, we gotta problem solve. Let's figure it out, move forward. But this invitation to stand, it's almost like a pausing. Would you stand? And this crossroads, and it says at the crossroads end, what does it say? To look, to look. And so how many of you guys know that the church, our community and the community at large is at a crossroads. In many ways, there's many, many intersections. It's what way are we going to go? What path are we going to take? Are we looking to the ancient paths of scripture and the, and 
the covenant and the promises and the principles of, of the Torah and the prophets in the New Testament? Or are we going to find substitutes? And so this idea of ancient paths is a motif that is a thread all the way to Jesus, to the ways of Jesus. And it doesn't say just ask for them and know them, and I'm going to augment this, and I am just have this knowledge now. You know? It's not just that. It's to what? To walk in it. Maybe we have to have the verse in the back. It says to walk in it. So it's not just know. It's to obey it, to walk in, make it your lifestyle. And then if we do that, what happens? We find rest for your souls. Does that sound like familiar language? Matthew 11. This is what Jesus and what Yahweh has come to provide us. And I don't know about you, but I think there's a whole swath of us in our generation that need rest for our souls. So how do we get that? We stand at the crossroads. We ask for the ancient paths and we walk in it. You know, this idea of ancient paths is something I think that is going to be something that we really embrace for the next I don't know, unfore, you know, unforeseen seasons. We're just going to continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. And we have actually made one of our, one of our core groups at our church uh, named after it. It's called The Way, and it's, it meets on Wednesdays. And I'm really excited about next Wednesday. It's going to be our worship service and uh, do this Ash Wednesday kind of thing. And, and I, I don't know what your background is with all, that, all of that stuff, but we're Jesus people. We're Scripture people. Um, we're relationship people, we're not religious people, but we believe that there are, there are disciplines and there are ancient paths that actually um, awaken our hearts to what God is doing. And so there is this, this tension that I think that I want to hold, again, speaking of tension, of there's this reality of the power of God and then and maybe even revival, which is super, like, topical right now, right? And we'll talk about that in a second. But there's also this, this idea of practices and these ancient paths. And so we are seeking, I am trying to like, and I'm just being honest with you, this is a process that we're all working together. And I say this humbly, I think if someone comes to you and, or someone's saying something about what, what the Spirit is doing with 100% certainty, it's like, okay, be careful, like, I know exactly what the Spirit's doing. And I'm not saying we can't hear God and that we can't know when we can discern and triangulate based on Scripture, counsel, the peace of God, all these things. But I feel like there's an invitation in this, in this hour for us to be humble and for us to go low. God, what are, you, what are you doing? We know that you're advancing the kingdom forward into the dark world, but how are you doing it? And how does this sort of come into our own setting? How is this contextualized? How does this fit in with our church and with our time, and I'm convinced of this, it is the power of God, being hungry for the power of God, and also to be disciplined in the practices. We have this, this side of us, I think, and I think some of you might relate more to this side than the other side. It's just like, it's a deep, sincere, humble desire for the kingdom of God to come with revival. It's like, come with revival, God. We're desperate. We're, we're pleading with you. We need your help. We need your fire. We cannot do this without you. We're powerless without your spirit. We need an awakening. We, we, are, we are dead without you. 
And those things are true, and it's my heartbeat as well. But there's also this side of, okay, we have the power. Okay, that's, that's happening. But are these moves of God taking place in such a way that it gives birth to a discipleship movement? We've seen revivals happen in the past, and the, the reformation as a result of the revival has, has not been perfect. So what is, what is the relationship between the power and the practices? And so we need both. We need the power and the practices. We need the fire and the frame. And so as many of you guys know, and I've been alluding to it, there is a revival, and I would, I would confidently call it a revival taking place, at least a very powerful generational move of God happening at Asbury University. And we talked about it last week. And it's, it's taking place in Kentucky. And so many people are, move, are, are flying there and trying to encounter what is happening there. And so, you know, just talking about, as a pastor, I, you know, it's just such a joy and also like a challenge to, to talk to everyone with their perspective of this stuff you know, it's just like, in this angle, in this angle, I'm like, yes, and yes, and wait a second, let's like walk through this together. But I am also, and I, and I just, I think that, I just want to say I'm, I'm cautiously, or I'm carefully charismatic. <laughs> and maybe if you know me, you're like, really? Like, you don't seem that like careful. You seem like you're just go for it, right? You just like, Holy Spirit, come. And that's probably true. But I think careful in the sense that like, I don't want to see abuses happen. I don't want to see people to sort of like hijack this hype and like use it for their own ministry or something like that and appropriate it and all that. I don't want to see that happen. And I'm also careful using the double entendre here because I don't want to stifle the spirit. Like I'm careful not to stifle and to water down or to stifle the spirit. And so there is a move happening. And so I want you to zoom out with me. We're going to be talking about some of these things probably for weeks. Um, but I want to. I want to see God move in our day. Like I don't want to just. I don't want to just get to heaven. Like okay, God, I just. I I did my job, <laughs> and I like I put on some services. I tried to put some programs of discipleship in place. I tried to build community and disciple people, and that's. But I, I kind of just. You know, I want to. I want to contend for the move of God. And honestly, I I don't before you, like, I just, I probably not contending the way I want to. I've been hurt by that. I've been hurt by the contending for revival, by the things that come with that stuff. But I want the move of God. And more than, than the revival itself, I want Jesus. Amen. I want his Holy Spirit. I want the love of the Father. Yeah. But there's also something to be celebrated with this revival. I don't know if we have these videos. Do we have these videos? Let's try it. We have some of these videos, and I think that there's um, an impartation even through video. So I want to see if we can get this. Oh, there you go. Some of it. good. Thank you. <clears throat> so 
catching myself kind of moved by that, which, which is so odd because it's like, what's even happening? You know, like there's a bunch of people standing and sing, singing a song and there's like hardly anyone on the stage. But I, I sense in my heart just this tenderness and a special outpouring of the Spirit and on this like awesome old hymn. And that's just one clip. This has been going on for a week and a half. And so I just, you know, the way I work with just my, I think with my gift set um, is like, okay, instead of being, I'm going to be a revivalist, let's bring this here. But Lord, what are you saying? Like, what are you communicating to the church? And what are you communicating to us? I want to know what he's, what he's up to and this prophetic kind of thing. And so that's what this, the rest of this message is kind of like talk. We're going to talk about that a little bit and maybe some, some things that we could hold on to practically as we move forward, okay? And if, you don't, if you're not churched and you don't even know what a revival is, like I apologize, um, but come and talk to me afterwards. There's a lot of cool stuff that I'd love to unpack with you. But, you know, Asbury University is a non-denominational small college but the bulk of its roots, as many of you probably know, is found in John Wesley, uh, some Methodists and the Holy, Holiness Movement. And so John Wesley, uh, I came across some of his, his writing, and John Wesley, in his, in his journals, writes down that he, he didn't ordain his ministers unless they fasted twice a week and they prayed three hours a day. And so... If that was the standard, there probably wouldn't be a lot of pastors nowadays, and I probably wouldn't be your pastor either. And so this idea of fasting, I want to kind of segue into this. I think the point of what John Wesley is doing, which I find is interesting, it's like these are ancient paths that have paved the road for this revival. There is a revival taking place. Why there? Is it just God's like... I'm just going to, there, you know, or is there something that has been, has there been a groove in the unseen realm that has provided this outbreak and this break in from heaven into earth? And I think some of these things are the disciplines, particularly fasting. And so I think the point is that to have the power of God and to be bearers and, and representatives of and priests of the presence of God, we need to know how to depend on him. Like if we have, if you see, you, you, if you see like anointed people who don't depend on God, it just goes bad. <laughs> it just goes bad. And so, you know, another thing is some of the things that sparked this revival is um, it was actually this, this, someone preached a message and they preached about loving God and loving others. Surprise, surprise there. And about being a servant to others. And he was like, he was preaching and he was like, talking to the students. is like, are you, are you a servant to people on your team? Are you celebrating the, 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 the teammates that get more playtime than you? And he was like just making it really contextual. But it was really this idea of loving others and, and surrendering um, pride. And so this revival is marked by repentance and the testimony of this. And something that Rachel mentioned is that after that, there was a student that came up and gave like this, this raw kind of testimony of of public repentance in front of everybody. And I don't know if I'm going to remember this quote because it's not in my notes, I'm just thinking of it, but I think it was John Edwards who says that revival spreads on the wings of, of testimony. Yeah. And so there is, there is, a, a, like a, there is just um, a conduit of some sort with testimony. 
And so, if there, is there someone here who wants to do that real quick? It's public repentance. Um, I'm kind of joking, but at the same time, if you feel a heartbeat, if you feel a tug in your heart for that, would you raise your hand? Or talk to me, come and talk to me at the end of service? Because we want to see God move. We want to be holistic. We want to be carrying the power and the practices. But if you feel something like that, who knows, revival can break out. And not even for that, just for you, just to repent. And so the revival um, is marked by repentance, humility, and dependence on God. And one of the greatest ways that we can live this way and, and carry, that, carry that in our lives, this revived dependence, if you will, is through fasting, through fasting. And so maybe you're, I don't know how you process that. I'm looking at your faces like just fasting. I don't, I don't, like, I don't, how does that work with all of this? Well, one of the things that we're seeing, I mean, if you look at the church calendar and the church of Christ, the church of Jesus, his body right now, worldwide is getting ready for this 40-day expectancy of consecration and fasting. And so just a week or two weeks before that, God reveals his presence in a way, in a very special way, in a generational way. And so is there a connection with this? Is there, is there something intentional that God is doing? And I think the answer is yes. It's we have this encounter with God and then we respond with separating ourselves from the things of this world that we normally rely on so that we can rely on God. And so I want to go back to, actually, let's continue here. You know, fasting, here's a, here's a line here. Fasting is an ancient path of putting to death all substitutes of God. And we do this so that we can hunger for God over everything else. John Piper, uh, in his book, Hunger for God, says this. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. <laughs> and for you literal people, he's not meaning just apple pie. It's like that which gives you pleasure. It's these substitutes of the sweetness of God for sweetness of the world. And it's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. And so this is, I think, the connection here. We, for for this, this new life that we're longing for, this flourishing that we're longing for, this renewal that we're longing for, this healing outpouring for hearts turned back to God, it takes for that hunger, we need to sort of put aside our cravings for the, for the counterfeits. And so that's where fasting comes in. I want to do a quick exploration here. Um, what is the Bible? I want to ask just a very big, open-ended question. What is the Bible? It's more of a rhetorical question because that'd be a whole can of worms. But I think that, I think that we, um, the way I would put it, is it's not a scientific textbook. It's not even a historical textbook. It is essentially the reports and chronicles of God's loving commitment with his people and how his people should respond. And we can talk about you know, nuance or different ways to talk about that, but that's essentially it. It's this motif of covenant. 
covenant. It's his relationship with God, his, with us, and his commitment. And the Bible is split up into three main ways. Do you guys know what those three main ways are? These, and the, I, I'm asking as, I'm using questions as a way of teaching, but so it makes us think. But the three main ways is the Torah or the Pentateuch, the prophets, or the, and the New Testament. And you could add in the historical books as well, but those are the three main, I think, motifs or, or sections. Um, the Torah, Pentateuch, or, and the prophets in the New Testament. And so, track with me here. Remember the transfiguration of Jesus? You guys remember that? So who was there? Not the disciples, but who was like in this new, Moses, Elijah, and then Jesus. That's right, well done. And so each part of the Bible, these, these sections that I just mentioned, the story of the relationship with God and his people is sort of represented with a person. And those, those persons are those three people that I mentioned. And so the one thing that all three of these people have in common is, is this. Well, actually, there's a lot of things in common. But one significant thing uh, that I want to highlight is a special outpouring of God's presence and then fasting. And so they experience each of these, these people, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus himself, experience an outpouring of God's presence in a tangible way. And what did they do in response? They fasted for 40 days. And so I want to show you this, this visual here. And so take a, just take a look at that. Process that for a second. And so the first person is Moses, the representative like the, of the Mosaic law, the Torah, right? This foreshadow of Jesus himself. God reveals himself at Mount Sinai. And what does he do? <laughs> he doesn't start some crazy movement or something like that. I mean, he eventually does. But the first thing he does is he fasts for 40 days. Elijah, representing the prophets, so God reveals himself at Mount Carmel or Carmel, and what does he do? He fasts for 40 days. And then Jesus, things switch here, God reveals himself <laughs> at the Jordan River, and how does Jesus respond? He's led to fast for 40 days. And so we are seeing this interesting parallel. I think, I don't know if it's apples to apples, I don't think it is, but there's a similarity here that I'm picking up on, and so it's a working idea here, but I, I, we're seeing an outpouring of God's presence in a special way in our generation, it's particularly to Gen Z, which is so awesome. And it's happening in our country, and it's been happening in our services too. It actually has. I think that people have, like, their hearts have been sort of, like, revived. There's been dreams that have been coming back alive. There's, like, a repentance. There's a new sort of sense of God and a new conviction for his word. There's these, these things, these similarities that are happening here. And so what did, what did these, these men, these, these people do in response to these things? They, and I'm just kind of like being cheeky, but like they didn't start a podcast, like a revival podcast. They didn't start like, oh, we got to write a book about this or go on like a crusade they didn't automatically even start a brand new movement or automatically start uh, full-time ministry right away, which I think is like kind of controversial. But what they, what they did instead is they, they encountered God and they 
allowed the, the hunger of their hearts to be transformed from the things of this world onto God. They humbled themselves and they fasted. So I want to give an example of this for the remainder of our time um, from Luke 4. And as you can tell, and I'm just being transparent with y'all, as you can tell, there's been a lot on my mind this week. And I'm kind of touching on a lot of different topics. But let's just focus in on our Zoom here on Jesus and his example for the remainder of our time found in Luke 4. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to pull that out because I'm going to be going almost like verse by verse here. Um, And and it'll also be on the screen, but get it out if you can, if you want. And so a little um, context is... In the previous chapter, Jesus is baptized. We talked, we've been talking about this and pointing to it. And so God's tangible presence pours out. Right? Heavens open up. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. This is a special sort of manifest presence. And some could say that it's a revival of some sort. God is revealing himself in a special way. Spirit comes down, and during this time, Father God affirms Jesus. We're assuming it's Father God, but a voice from heaven Uh, affirms Jesus as the son. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased and I delight in him. I love him and I delight in him. And so this encounter happens. And what does Jesus do? Let's pick things up in Luke 4, verse 1. It says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Let's just pause right there for a second. I just love that the author Luke is unashamed to just highlight the Holy Spirit's necessity and and presence throughout the narrative, throughout the gospel. And so he does it here, full of the Holy Spirit. This is different than the other gospels. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. What happened at the Jordan? That was the baptism. And was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. So now we're talking about like the Holy Spirit himself leading Jesus into the wilderness. Interesting. And so for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. <laughs> it's like, thanks, Captain Obvious. Uh, sometimes, the, sometimes the Bible is so, like, it's just like this classic understated thing, right? And he was hungry. Of course he was hungry. However, if you do a little bit more research, you realize that Luke is speaking to more than just the Jewish people. And so he's speaking to Gentiles who probably don't even have a context for this. And so he's explaining this to them. It's like, you, you fast for 40 days and then you're gonna be hungry because you're not. So he's teaching. Anyway, side note. So where are we? Thank you. Verse three. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And so here Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy uh, 8.3. And and in their original language, which is Hebrew, the word man is what? Does anyone know? Adam. Which is translated as humanity. So Jesus is saying humanity, all people, humanity, shall not live on bread alone. And so Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, he reports that Jesus continues this quote from Deuteronomy. Humanity or man or humanity shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
And so Jesus is saying, people don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so the question is, what are you eating? What am I eating? What are we consuming? What are we living on? Is it the words of God? I want to ask you a question. What are you, what are you hungry for? You just think about like in a, in a kind of an existential way, like as a person, like what are you hungry for? What's, where does your hunger go? Maybe it's apple pie, literally. I love me some apple pie. It's a little like, and then like a little bit of ice cream, vanilla ice cream, and you have the temperature contrast. Mm. But maybe it's something else. Maybe it's like just, oh, I need to work. I need to, I need to be financially secure. You don't know what's going to happen. I need to do this. I need to go and do these pleasure. Like, you know, whatever. What, what are you hungry for and what are you consuming? So fasting is a powerful way that we prioritize what's most important in our lives. And so we crave, how many of you guys know that we crave what we consume, right? I, I am like, I, when I eat too much fast food and Chick-fil-A, for example, all I want is Chick-fil-A. Like, I'm just like, it's just like a craving that I get. But when I eat slow cooked, home cooking, like that's what I want. You know, like if you just, you crave what you, what you eat. And then the same goes in the kingdom of God. Have you noticed? Like what you give yourself to is what you crave. I just need to get my phone. I just need to get on social. Um, not to pick on anybody or the younger people, but, but whatever the case may be. Um, so what we consume is, is, and what we consume is what we become. So you are what you eat. And so this is important. This is an important truth, I think, that challenges us to consider what we're feeding ourselves. What are you feeding yourself? You know, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually, because the implications are really big. Let's continue in verse five. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Wow. Quite the temptation. And Jesus answered him, it is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So this temptation, I think, and one of the angles of this temptation is that the accuser, the devil, is tempting Jesus to hurry ahead of his assignment, to hurry ahead of his season, his moment, to skip the things that God is calling him to do. Does everyone relate to that? It's like, I want to just fast forward a couple things. Like, I just need to hurry along on this. I don't want to wait here. This is painful. This is hard. I don't like being asked to do these things. Right? And so in this case with Jesus, like, it was like, you don't have to serve all these people and be betrayed by all these people and wash their feet and be misunderstood and gossiped about and eventually die on the cross and be tortured and, and, and shamed naked on a cross. Like, you can fast forward that. Just worship me and all the glory will be yours. And how many guys know that that is actually the invitation that we have as well as Christians? It's like, sometimes it's just like, just skip to the glory. <laughs> skip to the, to, the, to the glorification process. 
But God's like, wait, yes, it's coming, and that's a promise, and there's glimpses and awakenings and revivals even, but God has a unique journey for you and I that is transforming us into the image of God in greater measure. And so we have to just trust him on the process. Verse 9, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on, a, on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. <laughs> and so then Jesus answers him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So there's some things I want to sort of conclude here with um, and highlight what is what is Satan and the what does Satan tempt Jesus with and keep questioning him about? If you are the Son of God, he's he's really questioning his identity, right? He's asserting he's asserting doubt. If you are the Son of God, how many guys know that the devil works that way? He's so sly. Right? He's, he's, he's so subtle in his assertions, just twisting, just inserting a little bit of doubt, if you are the son of God, right? It's these lies of doubt. And they went into the, eyes, the ears of Jesus and they go into our ears as well. And so, I mean, look how careful, look, look, um, look how he chooses these words here, if you are the son of God. And so there's this planting of doubt and Fill in the blank for your situation. Like, how does the enemy want to plant doubt and twist things in your own identity, your own season, your own story? You're not God's child. You're not loved. You're alone. You're not enough. Your situation is too broken, right? These are all lies. These are lies. And we all have our go-to lies, and so we have to be aware of these things. And so how do we, how do we deal with the attack of the enemy on our identity and in our season so that we can see revival sustain, so that we can see transformation in our life, in our marriages, in our friendship groups, in our workplace sustain. I want to highlight three things to kind of land the plane, okay? The first one is scripture over experience. And so I don't know how that, if that challenges you or if you're like, amen, brother, you know? Um, I think it almost kind of, it's interesting how you respond to that. But I think that this is really essential. Scripture over experience. I'm not saying experience isn't, isn't important. Of course it's important. But it's, but it's not the first go-to. The first go-to is the word of God. I find something interesting. So in, the, in this passage we just read, Jesus is being challenged with these like assertions about his identity, if you were the son of God. But what happened in the chapter right before, right? God speaks and there's this like, it's, it's a public display of the manifest presence of God, the voice of God doing what? Affirming his identity. But Jesus doesn't go back and say, hey, Satan, did you, I guess you didn't hear. Like God, I had this experience. God affirmed my identity. So get away from me. He doesn't do that. Could he have done that? Yes. But I think he's teaching us something in it. He went to the scripture. 
And I think he's teaching us to go to the scripture. It's important to go to the scripture first. It doesn't mean that experience isn't important. So don't, don't hear me wrong. Scripture, experience, when they work together, man, we start to find the truth. The second thing is theology or biblical knowledge is not enough. <laughs> so I'm kind of doing this tension here, all right? Theology and biblical knowledge is not enough. It's interesting. From this passage, Satan is quoting from Psalm 91. <laughs> and so he's, he's saying this about Jesus. And, and if you first read Psalm 91, first glance, like glance, you can't, like, is that, that's about Jesus? I didn't know that. Like he, Satan has good theology or like he has understanding of theology, but it's not enough because he doesn't believe it or live it out, obviously. So just because we have theology or understanding, it's not enough. We need to live it out. That's where experience comes in. You with me? Comes together. And so, th and thirdly, to, to kind of tie it up, the last, this thing that I, want, I really want to harp on and for us to do as a unified family together in this season is to fast together. How does, how does Jesus respond to the outpouring of God's presence and step into a readiness and an authority of character for ministry? He fasts. And so I want us to fast and I want us to, to see it as a form of resistance. It's resistance against being polluted and pushed by the world, manipulated by the pleasures of this world. And in doing so, we hunger for God and we hunger for revival. This is how I'd love for us to move forward. It is power in practices. And in prayer this morning, Sarah said it is desire. We want revival, but it's also discipline right? Spiritual disciplines, fire, and frame. I'm call up uh, our worship team to conclude here. And so I want us to just move into a place of response to the Holy Spirit to maybe reflect on some of these things that I'm putting out. And I just want to let you know, y'all, if you disagree, it's okay. <laughs> I empower you to disagree. Like, it's all good. And I just believe in a community where we can have disagreement and it's still family. Like, I don't want to have a homogenous, like, you know, homogenous church. I want us to be diverse. And, but if you agree and you, you feel the tugging of God, go with that as well. And come and talk to me about these things. But right now, let's just maybe downshift our thinking brain and upshift our spirit in this place. Would you be willing to do that? Amen. The Holy Spirit loves you. He's here. And so maybe there's things in, in our lives that we've been depending on, that we've been relying on over God. And I want to allow us some time here to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to, maybe we need to repent from some things. And so we're going to take communion together and allow God to lead us in this place. And then we'll kind of worship together and see what happens. So if you're willing, would you just put your hands out like this, just as a posture of receiving, of humility, of openness. Let's pray together. God, we trust you. We love you. We glorify your name. 
We need you. We exalt you. Would you have your way in this place? Thank you, Lord, that you are doing something so significant in your body in this moment. And you're teaching us how to be mature sons and daughters. More than just knowing a lot of the Bible or even more than operating in signs and, and miracles and signs and wonders, you want us to be transformed into your likeness and enter into deeper union with you. And then to serve and to wash the feet of the world, to be the light in the darkness. So Lord, would you help us to be holistic in this? We pray for revival. We also pray for reformation. We pray for your power, but we also pray for your practices. And Jesus, we just fix our eyes on you. We just shift the inward gaze of our hearts on you right now. And we allow you to be the example. I know in my own life, I am so prone to wander, but I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. And so at this time, we're gonna take communion as a family. And I wanna encourage you to allow God to speak to your heart, to welcome him, just even pray out loud, welcome him. And we're gonna take of the elements that are at the stages here and they're gonna be in the back corners as well on those pillars. We're gonna take the body, this, this wafer that represents the broken body for us. And we're gonna take this juice that represents the blood of Jesus poured out so that we can be made new. So let's do that together.